Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on State of the Art Podcast. I'm your guest host, Dorothy Santos. For those of you who are confused, State of the Art decided to expand their niche beyond art and tech to include a variety of topics which have shaped the state of the art as we know it today. With this in mind, I've been invited to take over the podcast for a month-long discussion exploring queerness. In this episode, I speak with artist Brina Nunez. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Brina. They're an Afro-Guatemalan Salvadorian cartoonist based in Oakland, California, by way of San Bruno and South San Francisco. They love the Bay Area and currently pursuing, and almost done, with an MFA in comics at the California College of the Arts. Now, in their own words, they like to draw and write about the Afro-Latinx diaspora, Central Americans being themselves, queer people of color, and socially awkward animal people. Some of their work has been featured on Huffington Post, Prime Vice, Color Lines, The Beat, The Mescla, and The Baileys. Our conversation includes discussion about comics, graphic novels, and storytelling. Have a listen and enjoy. This is really rad because I've been following your work for quite some time. And I remember thinking to myself how awesome it was to see, you know, I'm, I'm Filipinx, you know, but I think to see other women of color doing cartooning, doing graphic novels, comics was, has always been so revelatory to me. Every, every single woman of color that I've seen, it, it really kind of touches my heart. And I say this because I originally wanted to do and not too many people know this about me. I wanted to do a PhD in ethnic studies, but looking at political cartooning. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I think it's also just a, a secret desire that I used to, like, love drawing and doodling. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, let's, let's go ahead and start there. But, I, you know, about uh, your passion for storytelling through the comics form. But I'm going to do this in a... Maybe in an unorthodox way, I'm actually going to start with your with your upcoming MFA thesis, which is soon to be completed. Do you have a title for it? There's two parts of uh, my thesis. Um, the first one is going to be um, called Half and Half. It's going to be like a comic strip um, published as a, like a split comic, which I've experimented with last year. So one side of the comic will be dedicated to my Guatemalan side and the other side will be dedicated to being Salvadoran um, and Afrodescendiente um, because my family on my father's side is also Afro-Salvadoran. And the second part of my thesis will be the graphic memoir that I've been kind of plugging along for the last couple of years. That one's going to be called Morena. And after graduation, I really hope to publish it as like a book um as like a book one in like a two book sort of like series um because i'm really focusing a lot of my childhood in the first one and in the second one i kind of want to address another part of my identity that has sort of just i guess crept into my life because of curiosity and i want to talk more about like uh blackness and central americanism Oh wow. I can't wait to read. <laughs> I can't wait to read all of that. <laughs> and to and to clarify because I didn't start off with this. You are re- working on and soon to be finished 
your uh, Master's of Fine Arts or MFA yeah. in comics at Cal- California College of the Arts. Mm-hmm. Yes. That it well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. And <laughs> by the time this comes out, you're done. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm going to be done this July. Like no more school. I don't know about like no more school in general, but I still want to be um, an educator since I was like an after school, like uh, teaching artist in San Francisco for a little while. But um, yeah, it's almost done this journey. Could you talk a little bit more about your relationship with the interstitial moments? This might sound like a strange question. <laughs> But this is me also reading Scott McCloud's work. Did I get that name right? You did. Yeah, I think Scott so. Scott McCloud's work. Yeah. <laughs> and you know how he talks about the frame, you know, the, the mm-hmm. white space, those white spaces that are so known and that are kind of the the trope of of comics. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of when you see something in a grid and, you know, in your own practice in the past two years and beyond, how has your relationship to those spaces and how you tell stories through the panels. How has that changed? How did the program change that for you? Let's see. I feel like I didn't really confine myself in panels as much as I am currently with um, the comic strips and also the memoir too. But um, I want to say I've slightly dabbled experimented in cartooning too but i never really called myself like a comic book artist um back in like 2013 i mostly started out doing zines and just like just um basically writing down a lot of vulnerable stuff um in like kind of diary form and i just constantly just illustrated characters and a lot of them happen to be women women of color and very queer presenting and i think at that time too it wasn't until somebody uh, bought a print from me and said like look at this queer art and to myself i think like i came out at that time like post um undergrad and i totally like didn't see myself as being queer although a lot of my friends suspected and they were telling me like you're queer right like or asking me those questions i'm like no I'm not. <laughs> but deep down feeling. yeah so i feel like it's because like um illustrating characters that are heavily influenced by comic book characters that i've seen that are all of women of color um i just wanted to just create illustrations and I feel like there was a lot more freedom. I didn't really confine myself in panels, but just using patterns and like design to kind of create these characters that never really had like a story, but like there's definitely like a theme and a lot of it is just around identity. And now to be in this program um, and to finally dedicate time to a comic, like a long form project, like my graphic memoir, it's really refreshing to just also be in that space to um to have a lot of support from your professors and seeing what sort of books you should be studying based off of like your personal aspirations as far as like what do you where do you see yourself after graduation who do you um who do you want to get published by and who are your like idols um it was a lot of reading um, Adrian Tomine's stuff over and over again. And 
like huge like I don't know, like big ups to him because I feel like him being from like Northern California too, he like does a lot of justice to like um, illustrating like what the Bay looks and also feels like. I feel like his characters are just like ridiculously like, ah, uh, uh, re- like relatable because I see a lot of people I know from like high school, like in his characters and in college and it really taught me to focus a lot on what parts of like uh, my childhood and which took place in the Bay Area and also in the Salvador when it went for the first time. Like what parts do I want to include in the panels? Like how can I do something as similarly as Adrian Tomine? Like what parts of like these spaces can I put into like a panel so that people can feel like they are there with me reliving this memory. In a psychological sense, you know, one of the one of the things I think about when I read comics is that a, for me a really good comic book artist or graphic novelist, whatever you'd like to call artist, working with uh sequencing in any way shape or form there's also this mental mastery of editing that goes on because you just you just mentioned that there's certain things that you want to highlight in a panel versus something else. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the next question I ask is probably really abstract, but how do you decide in your mind what is going to be filled in by the reader? Mm. What types of patterns have have your reading of other comic book or graphic novelists done for your own practice? I think um, pacing. So could you explain yeah. pacing for the listener? For please? sure. So one cool thing that I learned in grad school is um, that um, I feel like it also exists in film too, like in film studies, like pacing, like um, more terms that I learned. Um, decompressing versus compressing time in a comic like for instance if you want a moment to sort of feel like it's going to last for like a good amount of time and you want that all to be displayed at least in a page or two um i feel like for me decompressing time has been like just using a lot of panels um in a grid form like using panels that have like very quiet moments so that you can feel like the character is kind of just sitting with their thoughts and being very pensive versus compressing time where I like to think a superhero like action comics are a good example of um, compression like it's very fast paced like it's just very boom 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 like you go from one panel to the next some guys ass is getting beat and then like they heal themselves and that you're watching like yeah an action scene um i feel like he does a really good job at decompressing um time as far as like talking about adrian tomine but i also read some manga um a while ago that really really inspired me and i am like going to butcher the title really hard because i always do um this one manga by this korean artist um, it's called, I think, Happily 
oh, Uncomfortably Happily. It's published by Drawn and Quarterly, and it's also a memoir. And it's about the artist himself and his wife, who's also an artist, like a little power couple. They get tired of living in Seoul, like in Korea, and they move into the countryside just to focus on their art. And I felt like I learned so much from also non-Western comics, too, about um, expanding the sense of time and to pace myself a little bit more slowly and to do it intentionally because I sometimes feel like the default for American audience is to have things paced very um, quickly so that you can get to the point of the story. But not everybody likes to read books like that. For me, I always like to sit with like the the comic itself and just absorb everything and absorb the the world that the artist is trying to build for you. I hope that answers your question. It does answer my question. I think you answered it way better than I asked it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think one of the reasons why this is resonating with me, your answer is resonating with me so greatly, is because I oftentimes feel in immigrant families, there is a lingering and a longing. So speaking Mm -hmm. of what you were talking about regarding pacing and related to this decompression versus compression time, that a comic book artists would have to actually grapple with in, mm-hmm. in, in you know, drawing out and e- drawing out their panels, but also the type of language and being much more intentional with language. So let me ask you about that, because I think one of the multi, I oftentimes think of, of comics as a very multi-sensorial experience that even though it's visual, yes, the really great comics also enable me to uh, almost here because a lot of it is and as you mentioned we see this in a lot of uh action uh focused comics where you hear the the literal you said this boom or smash of something but even in the panels that i saw that i was privy to for your for your master's thesis i saw some of the i could hear the water of you know the panels that you were drawing in that depict you and your brother in Half Moon Bay mm-hmm. and when you were first meeting you know your your grandmother from El Salvador and so I wondered about that in how you kind of craft the story so it's not just about having a composition for each panel and then a page and then a book or, you know, a volume, mm-hmm. it's it's also the intentionality of your language. So how has, when you first started, you know, making these zines, how has the language of the zines now kind of uh, evolved from those days? It's a lot more sequential, for sure. Um, I feel like I just kind of let the illustrations in this one scene that I made called um, The Center of My Heart. It's like my love story to like uh, Central Americans, um, femmes and queers from the diaspora and just have like um, just affirmations for like each person that comes from like these different countries that um, are Central America. And they were mostly portraits inspired by like friends that I met along the road or like through uh, Instagram, I feel like there's like different stories being told. It's almost like prose with illustration, but I didn't really see those zines as like a comic, but I guess arguably they could be comics still. Um, 
But yeah, now I feel like I finally have the chance to um, use paneling and also um, dialogue, having characters um, speak because I feel like I never really intentionally wrote characters that um, had different personalities. I was always talking about myself. I mean, I'm still talking about myself and um, it's always coming from like just what my perspective is on identity and um, what it is to be like, like this Afro-Latinx person walking in the world. Um, and now with like these other comics, I get to include characters that are like my family and for my comic strip, just like still it's my voice, but I draw myself as like this little chibi character um, who just goes through like random and awkward moments regarding identity again. So I feel like over the time, it's just become more comic booky. <laughs> it's got more panels. Um, I feel like um, more of my design uh, influence has also kind of been a part of it too, since I do enjoy typography and using my imagination to come up with like different fonts for um, titles and using my own made up font that I'm just using all the time for like writing notes, but using like hand lettering to be a part of like those conversations, like in the speech bubbles. Yeah. So I used to love lettering when I was growing up and calligraphy mm -hmm. and what typo uh, typo what typography can actually tell us because there is a language even in that. I mean, we see that kind of yeah, advertising and all that. But stepping away from then kind of lettering and I know that you are working on inking today. So thank mm -hmm. you also for taking the time to speak with me because I know you're in the mid you're in the midst <laughs> of finishing up your thesis. So for I sure. really appreciate that. It's a nice break though. Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I'm really hoping that this was a good break for you. I think one of the things that I wanted to to talk about is how your family feels about your art. Could you speak a little yeah. bit more to how I mean we're kind of switching gears here. No but worries. I before because we don't have very much time. So I I you know and I just want to ask you all the things. But that was one of the things I didn't want to ask you is I wanted to see how your relationship with your family has kind of uh, changed or how their perspective around your artwork mm -hmm. and and how they've received it. Yeah, I feel like it's always very positive um, on both sides. Um, I feel like my my Salvadoran side especially is really excited to see me drawing parts of Santana. Um, for this comic because this is something that I don't think really exists in um, in comics today. I feel like there's not a lot of um, stories or yeah that have like some sort of illustration or visual narrative that um, capture their hometown, and it feels like a huge task for me personally to um, draw like the city and just to draw also like the the just to do justice to the ambience of like being in Santana Salvador 
capturing like the humidity and also like the different noises, like what we were talking about earlier into a comic is sort of intimidating to me, but I feel like they're just happy already that this is a project that's going underway. And my mother's side, I am always crediting them the most when it comes to why I'm a cartoonist and why I also read comics because, um, yeah, like when I talk to my grandmother about how things are going in school and she'll always remind me, um, she'll tell the same story over and over again about how she used to read Donald Duck in Spanish back when she was a kid in Guatemala and how they also read Mafalda, which I like to say is the, um, just to give people like um, a point of reference, Mafalda's is basically, I feel like, the more feminist um, Latina version of like the Peanuts comics. It's also a comic strip too, but it's very political, um, very sassy character. And that was my mom's favorite comic growing up. And when they migrated to um, the mission over here, my mom used to read Archie comics as well. And I'm trying to think of the other title too. Um, it always escapes me. But yeah, she read a lot of comics too to sort of help her um, read in English and to also, yeah, learn how to speak um, the language too. So I feel like at first, uh, my family was sort of scared that I wanted to be an artist um, because for a long time, they really invested in my love for music. I was going to be like, I had this dream of being like the first chair, like flautist in the San Francisco symphony or yeah, I had those like dreams because we used to, um, we had like a field trip that took us to the Davies symphony hall. And when I was like in the third grade and I was just super inspired, but I sort of fell out of love with music and wanted more autonomy over my creativity. So I wanted to be an art major in state Oh, yeah, SFSU. And that kind of scared everybody. They're like, how are you going to make money? And I'm like, okay, well, I can draw at least. And that sort of gave them some confidence. And I think it just slowly, like, like their trust in me and their, like, faith in my love is, like, I don't want to say earned, but, like, they realize why, like, this is happening. And I feel like this whole experience is kind of coming in full circle with their love of comics and my love. I feel like it's something I've kind of inherited over the years and I hope they like understand that it's because of them. I'm an artist because sometimes they'll say like, I don't know where you get these talents from. Like it's not from any of us. And I'm like, no, it's from you guys. You guys are like the ones that, you know, made me this nerd. <laughs> I really love that sentiment, by the way, of how your family has, you know, made you the artist that you are. I oftentimes think that there's a type of pragmatism mm -hmm. amongst immigrant families that it it's just so deeply embedded. I think it's something that I, I oftentimes ask other artists because, you know, I, I, I didn't that's a really lovely story, by the way, about how kind of your family has accepted or even kind of the trepidation that your family had of like, oh, my gosh, how are you going to make money? How are you going to? Because I think that's the kind of the biggest fear. Like, what, oh, yeah. You know, what about benefits? You know, absolutely. 
I think that's kind of the biggest concern for any family. And one of the other reasons why I ask about, uh, you know, how your family has kind of received your artwork is oftentimes, and I, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of different artists, whether they're filmmakers, cartoonists, uh, painters, new media and digital artists, you know, when when they have artwork that even alludes to something familial, mm-hmm. that it becomes this really poignant place for conversation for not just the artists and the family, but also for people to kind of be vulnerable themselves. Mm-hmm. And I see your practice as an artist doing just that. You know, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of joy that I feel when I read your comics, but I think one of the one of the times that I actually was I felt attention was work that you showed at Culture Strike when mm. there was a show with, you know, Julio Salgado. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, forefronting a lot of these barrier based um and just car- cartoonists, but also comic book artists and comic artists. And could you tell the listener, if you remember, mm-hmm. the panels that you showed? Yeah, yeah. Because they were very, not only were they very striking to me, just aesthetically, the story in it was very, it it left me a bit, it, it, it made me think how children can be cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to say this was sort of like a, like a magical realism, like short autobiography comic that I made um, uh, during 2016, um, soon or while the elections were happening. And yeah, I know what I knew what the story was going to be about, but I didn't know what the panels were going to look like. And it starts off with um, my a symbol of like my. My nawal, which is the crocodile, um, the imosh. And then we start to see um, the crocodile just like in its physical form. And it's being hunted down by like this white hunter. And after it's captured, it's um, branded with like the hunter is like holding a sharpie and it's branding um, a a swastika on it. And that's based off of a lived experience I've had um, when I went to high school in Millbrae. And I was a part of like the girls soccer team over there at the time. And being in Millbrae, it's, it has like a very small percentage of black and brown students that attended that high school when I was a youth over there. And um. My family saw that too, that comic. I wasn't really sure what the reaction was going to be because it's a very vulnerable story. And I didn't come out with um, this story to my mom until like years after I graduated from high school. So it's really painful for my mom to hear that when I was a kid um, because she did her best to always protect my brother and me from um, racism or to sort of like make it seem like. or I feel like the education system also made it seem like we live in post-racial America. So this should not ever happen to you because the civil rights ha- movement happened, right? But um, we see how <laughs> how that really fails us in public education. Um, but yeah, the idea that um, 
going back home to like my family's countries, um, it's always a huge privilege to do that because it reminded me as a kid that I had nothing to be ashamed of. And it was always um, those stories, like going back to the motherland and hearing stories about my family, whatever their ghost stories or whatever, just seeing the pride in their eyes just helped me heal like those wounds. Yeah, that was one of the – and <laughs> yes, I had known about your work before that exhibition, mm. but it was the first time I had seen your work in real life. <laughs> and even meeting you at um, – yeah. there was I, I met you there and I remember you telling me that story and it really stuck with me. It left an impression on me about your work and, of course, I – looked up even more of your work and I was really happy to learn that because I went to California College of the Arts, but I was on mm-hmm. the other That's end right. of things. Um and doing theory, <laughs> I, which I would have I would have loved to hang out with uh, I don't even think I'm not sure if the comics program was around. Probably not. It's a pretty new program. Yeah, and but they've done well to have artists in the program that are like yourself amazing and so it kind of let me ask you a bit of a thorny question yeah related to to comics and and zines do you think and and you'll you'll know why this is a thorny question because of the nature of comics and graphic novels and cartooning and and let me speaking of something that actually happened I was talking to someone last week about comics because I am a huge fan of comics and Mm -hmm. cartoons and uh, graphic novels. And he said, Oh, who really reads those anyway? Those are just (laughs) for kids. Or he, you know, he made, he, he made a very flippant remark. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the things I did respond and I said, there's a lot of really talented cartoonists and comic book artists that are making deeply impactful, influential, mm-hmm. and quite politically charged work. Very. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that comes from this desire in the past, in my previous life, of wanting to study political cartooning. But anyway, the reason why I preface the question with that, the very thorny question that I'm about to ask, that I'm building it up so well, and I hope it's just as thorny and good, <laughs> is... How do you feel about the institutionalization of comics? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it, it could it be argued that it's something that people should and ought to do freely as opposed to something that becomes um, churned out through an academic space? Right. I think about that a lot, actually. Um, sometimes I'm wondering what – could I be just still doing the same thing without being in a MFA program? Um for me, I think I was always hungry to sort of be in an academic setting that specifically focused on comics um, and in a safe setting, too, since that is still like the comment that that person made is still very relevant today. So many people don't think that this is a like um, an art form, an art form or a liter- literary, literary art form, form as well. Um yeah, I feel like it depends on the person. Um, the program I'm in specifically, I feel like if you already have some semblance of experience 
um, of like either writing um, or drawing and you have like this huge affinity for comics, I'd say go for it, especially if you do want to get into education. That's pretty much why I'm also in this game too is because um, I'm sort of tired of being a teaching artist that can't always pay the bills because it's not enough money, even though nonprofits do have enough money to pay teaching artists and to help us sustain ourselves here in the Bay Area. But um, yeah, my hope is to maybe go into a university or any place that's open to having some sort of comics class, which is currently happening in Mills College and at San Francisco State. Um, they now have a minor in comics program. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm a little salty about it because I'm like, what? Where was this <laughs> <laughs> when I was a undergrad, right? But um, I feel like you also don't need academia to give you permission to make stuff on your own because look at all the other people that have so much um uh just so much celebrity uh like from the underground comics movement people that you know came to san francisco or like are from san francisco made a bunch of stuff in because they wanted to rebel against what was mainstream what was normal at the time and at the time it was mostly superhero comics and even though it's historically uh, known as a boys club, the underground comics movement, there was another movement of like women that were tired of like not being included and tired of like the, like some of like the most vile like shit that they've seen in comics too um, during their time. And they self-published their own magazine. And I feel like there's something beautiful happening lately um, within the span of like few years, um, maybe like seven years, like from like early before like 2019, cartoonists of color were just tired of not seeing themselves. And I feel like so much more uh, memoir and autobiographical pieces, but also like you were saying, political pieces, trying to normalize what comics should be for like our community it's like a wonderful movement that's happening. I don't know what you would want to call it, but it's here and it's alive and it's accessible. You just have to like go to a zine fest to find us. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true mm -hmm. because that's how I find some of my favorite cartoonists and zine makers and just, uh, yes, 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 and... <laughs> Um, because we're running out of time actually. Oh, yeah. And there are a couple of things that, I mean, I could talk to you for like, you know, 10 more hours, <laughs> right? pretty exhausting you know. and you need to get back to inking, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, I, that, this is a beautiful note to end on. So thank you. But I, before we mm -hmm. officially end, I wanted to ask you how, how about throwing out, you know, artist names queer, trans, women of color that are making really amazing, uh, you know, cartoons, zines, graphic novels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you have a lot <laughs> and I know it's tough to narrow down and I'm asking you to do something really tough because, you know, you know a lot, <laughs> but could, are there a few that you're willing to share with the listeners? Absolutely. Um, Trinidad Escobar, um, one of the first, um, 
people to graduate from the MFA in comics program and is doing fantastic work. And let's see, a one man's um, educator as well, cartoonist, does a lot of like genderqueer comics, uh, just a lot of awesome black queer stuff. Avi Jetter, um, one of the organizers from SF Zine Fest, she has this amazing um, series of zombie comics. All of the characters are black and it takes place in Oakland. And um, let me see another friend who just moved out. She just recently moved to L.A. from the Bay. Her name is Julie Fiviash. She's an indigenous uh, Navajo, specifically um, cartoonist and has a really cute style, very influenced by like manga and trying to think what she's working on right now. Um, She had this really cute detective, um, like super like gay uh, detective comic with like cute little animal people um let's see i think that's what i can muster up at yeah the no that's <laughs> that's a lot i know you have so much and you're thinking through different ideas inspired by different artists i'm sure that there are so many more um they all sound amazing and wonderful mm-hmm. so for state of the art there is a tradition at the end of every podcast, they do rapid fire questioning. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. No thinking, even though I know you're always thinking. <laughs> like all artists I've been talking to, it's just, I can't, you know, I can't. We you just know, gotta pause. You like. just, you, I know, I know, and typically there's a lot of thought that goes into this, but I don't, I don't want you to put too much thought into these questions. Okay. What's your favorite pattern? Let's see. Um, right now, polka dots. Nice. Polka dots. Uh, what is your favorite or what I, – I, I don't even like using the word favorite, but what about the book you're reading at the moment? I'm reading – let's see. Oh, well, I don't think I'm reading anything right now. I just finished Incognito. Um it's a graphic novel about this reporter who passes as white, but he's black. And this all takes place like um, in the 30s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's that sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. What about the film? A, a good film you've recently watched? Detective Pikachu. <laughs> hey, you know what? That looked actually quite entertaining. Oh, my God. It was amazing. I want to see it again. I just want to just draw detective pikachu and his wrinkle like all of his wrinkles he was animated so well <laughs> very cool no I, I i'm not gonna lie that's actually that i i'm very familiar with pikachu and and that that whole po- pokemon yeah pokemon. yeah, oh, the fandom. yeah, yeah. but this this movie has actually enticed me I'm, I'm very curious and so the last question what's your favorite scent my favorite scent oh wow there's so many, but I feel like I always go back to rosemary. Um, we have like a rosemary bush in our backyard and um, I like to put it in my scrambled eggs. Um, and whenever I'm just feeling really stressed, it's like the best stress reliever for me. And I don't know, it just puts a smile on my face every time I smell it. Nice. <laughs> Brina, 
Thank you so much for this conversation. And I'm, I'm looking forward to reading your MFA thesis. Awesome. Thank you for inviting me to have this conversation. Yeah. It's been so fun. I love this. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm super stoked. Thank you again. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us on State of the Art Podcast. You can learn more about Brina Nunez by visiting their website at, and I'm going to spell it for you, B-R-E-N-A-C-H-E dot com. Be sure to tune in next week as we speak with artist Lark VCR. 